So when we were growing up, we had some friends who had a pool. Now that might not sound like a big deal now, um, but when I was a kid, um, uh, we grew up in a fairly uh, poor, fairly sort of working class neighbourhood, and no one had pools. In fact, this family, these were the only people I knew in the whole world who had a pool. And when I say a pool, don't think pools now, don't think a big sort of concrete tiled thing that you can swim laps in and dive into. This was one of those little um, above ground round pools. Um, uh, the thing was tiny, right? It was like an oversized bathtub. You couldn't swim laps in it. You couldn't play games in it. If you tried to throw a ball at someone, you'd be like throwing it into their face. Kind of. It was that, it was that small. Um, but there was one game that, uh, that uh, me and my brother and the kids of this family, there was one game that we loved to play in the pool. And it didn't have a name, but this is the way the game, it was a little round pool. And so what you would do is you'd all stand toward the edge of the pool. Daryl, you know this game. You'd all stand toward the edge of the pool and you would walk around in the same direction. And as the current grew, you would walk faster and faster until you were running around in the same direction as far as you could. And then you would kind of count to three and everyone would stop and you would try and walk back the other way. But by walking, you'd created such a current that there was no chance of you walking back the other way. It would knock you off your feet and you'd get sort of whirlpooled or spiralled around in this pool. And... Um, it, like it sounds ridiculous and, and, and simple, but it's actually a lot of fun. If you're ever in a small round pool, um, have a go because uh, even to this day, it is a lot of fun. Uh, we're in part three of a series that we're calling Surviving and Thriving. Uh, we're looking at, uh, walking through, talking through um, the book of 1 Peter in the Bible. Um, uh, 1 Peter is written by Peter, uh, the apostle, uh, the follower of Jesus. And he writes this letter to a number of churches. Uh, we said he writes this uh, about 30 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he writes it to churches that are doing it tough. Um, the Roman Emperor Nero has uh, made it legal to persecute Christians. And so these tiny little churches, and when I say churches, we're not talking buildings, we're not talking denominations, we're not talking organisations, we're talking little groups of people meeting in homes or in community spaces. And these church are, churches are now, it is legal to persecute these people. It is legal to discriminate against them. Um, and when I say persecute, uh, literally to the point of uh, uh, violence against these people and even death in some cases. Uh, Peter is a, a leader in the early church, not just in one of these little churches, but sort of in the, in the overall church movement, which again is really tiny at this point. And as a leader in the church, he writes a letter to a group of churches who are doing it tough, and he writes to encourage them. Last week we saw that <clears throat> Peter kicks off his letter by refocusing people on the wonder of a life lived with Jesus. And we said that the good of knowing Jesus in this life uh, and having eternal life after this one is better than the worst that the world can throw at us. Or to kind of spin it around, put it another way, um, compared to the wonder of knowing Jesus, nothing in this life, even death, comes close to how good that is. Um, and Peter had this, this great phrase we read last week where he talked about the inexpressible and glorious joy, inexpressible and glorious joy of knowing Jesus 
and knowing uh, the promise, the inheritance of eternal life that he promises to us. So with that as our background, Peter's going to change gears today. Um, therefore, he's going to change gears. So um, if you've got your Bibles, open it to 1 Peter. We said last week the easiest way to find 1 Peter is to start at the back uh, in Revelation and to work forward. Um, when you get past Revelation, there's a couple of small um, uh, little books, uh, Jude and 1 and 2 and 3 John, and then you bump into 1 and 2 Peter. If you've got a digital device, it's easy. Just sort of scroll to the bottom of the list of books uh, and you'll find 1 Peter there. So we're going to do what we did last week. I'm going to read through uh, the whole of the text that we're going to look at today and then we're going to go back to the top and sort of walk through it. And I sort of said this last week, <clears throat> Peter's not the easiest guy to read. Okay? is The way he writes um, is not the easiest to follow. So do your best to try and track with this and then we're going to try and unpack it and make some sense of it. So we're beginning to read at verse 13 in chapter 1. So 1 Peter Chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. <clears throat> therefore, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, evil, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spirit, pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter begins with therefore. Um, therefore is a way of saying, in light of everything I've just written. Right. So any time in the Bible, if you see therefore, you really need to read or understand the section before the therefore, because it's like the writer saying, um, okay, now I'm going to tell you something else. But some, this, this relies on, this is built on what I've just said. Um, so Peter's saying, therefore, uh, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober. Um, uh, that's the NIV translation. Lots of other translations say, prepare your minds for action. Therefore, 
Prepare your minds for action. Um, and verse 13, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Um, uh, Peter's sort of beginning where he left off. He's saying, in light of everything that Jesus has done for you, in light of the cross, in light of the, the promised eternal life um, that Jesus made available for you, in light of all that, get your minds ready for action. And here's the action. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. He's saying because of everything that Jesus has done for you, you should start following him. You should stop acting like the rest of the world uh, and instead start acting like Jesus. Start following his example in life. And the word he uses to, to capture this idea of following his example is to be holy. Now, if you were here um, uh, when we did our God Is series, we talked about this idea of holiness and the holiness of God. We did a whole week that we called God is Holy. Uh, we said that holy is a, is, is a churchy word. We don't use it much, but it's a churchy word that means to be set apart, to be different, to be unique, um, sort of not like everyone else around you. And Christians have said for a long time that that's the kind of God that we worship. Our God is not like everyone else. He's not like all the other gods. Our God is unique and different. And what Peter's saying here is that our God is holy. And that if you're a Christian, if you're someone who said yes to Jesus and has accepted what he's done for you and has committed yourself to follow him, then you are to be holy too. You are to be holy like Jesus is holy. That's Peter's really key point in what we're going to read today. Uh, he's going to circle around that in a number of ways, but his key point is that you are now, that we are now, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are to be, we are to be holy in the same way that Jesus is holy. Verse 18, for he says, uh, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So he said that you're a holy. Now he's going to sort of circle around and talk to us about the why of that statement. And his first answer to the why is to remember, remember how much it cost Jesus to give you this eternal life, to give you this inheritance. The words he used are to redeem you. He's saying, remember that it cost him a lot more than silver or gold. This, was something, this wasn't something that he bought with his pocket money. This wasn't something that he saved up for. It cost him his blood. Do you see it there? Um, his precious blood. It cost him his blood. He literally died to make this available to you. What Peter's trying to say is, what Jesus did for us is a huge thing. Right? This is sort of what he was saying last week. This is... Why it began with therefore. He's making this point again. He's reminding us that what Jesus has done for us is huge. And I want you to notice um, Peter's language right throughout here. If you look in verse 14, he uses the word evil desires. Uh, and again in four, verse 14, he says, you lived in ignorance. In verse 18, he talks about our empty way of life. So you look at those states and then you contrast that within verse 18 where he says, you were redeemed. Verse 22, he uses the word purified. 
Verse 23 says you've been born again. The point is, Peter's using this really, this really sort of night and day language. He really wants to emphasize the really significant difference that knowing Jesus makes in the life of someone. Can you see that? He's using this sort of this, this really uh, dark, this really lost, this really hopeless language, and he's contrasting it with this um, with this language of extraordinary restoration and new birth and new hope. Peter wants to reinforce this idea that what Jesus has done for us is a is a, is a huge thing and it makes an extraordinary difference in our life. And what he's saying, the, the reason he's saying that is because for Peter, understanding what it is that Jesus has done, that is the motivation to follow Jesus' example in life. He's saying, that's my, why am I doing this? Why am I doing Because I understand how costly this was. I understand the lengths that Jesus went to to make this available to me. Peter's saying Jesus has died, done so much for us. It's almost like he's saying that Jesus has done so much for us that pursuing holiness is the least that we can do back to him. Does that, does that kind of make sense? He's saying compared to what Jesus does, this is the least that we can do. What he's asking of us is nothing in comparison to what he's given us. Verse 24, he said, For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Uh, Peter's saying, after all, life is short. He's saying, we're, we're really, each of us, uh, no matter how young or old, said, we're just like flowers, really. You know, a flower blooms and it's bright and it's beautiful, but it's there for only a couple of weeks and then it, die, it dies and it's gone. He's saying, you know, this life, uh, this life, this human life that we see around us, this life is short and it's really short compared to the eternity that God has made available to us. And he finishes up in, uh, in the first part of chapter 2, which we read, saying, therefore, his second therefore, therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this second therefore of Peter sort of transitions us into the practical instructions, transitions us into his idea of what it means to be holy. When he says, be holy, what exactly is he talking about? And this is Peter saying, therefore, okay, therefore, now I'm going to tell you about what this holy life looks like, about what we have to do. And he lays it out there in that sense. Rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And we said be holy, uh, you know, is about being set apart. If you live like that, you'd be set apart, right? If you live like that, you'd look different to the world around us. Because let's be honest, uh, that list, I mean, Peter wrote this uh, hundreds, thousands of years ago. Um, but let's be honest, that list pretty much sums up the world around us today, doesn't it? I mean, when you read things like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, I and mean, I'm not trying to sound overly negative here, but to me, that sounds pretty much like any day on social media. You know, I don't know about what your social media feeds look like. And I'm not knocking social media. It's a, it's a brilliant thing. Um, but, you know, 
It is full. Our world is full of those kinds of words. And we're not talking about evil, nasty, um, disastrous people. That's coming out of all of us. You know, those sort of words, those sort of words just tend to, uh, you know, to grow up and to spill out of all of us. Even those of us who would consider ourselves to be good people find ourselves falling in to those behaviours, to those ways of thinking, to those ways of speaking and of acting. Peter began his letter by saying we should change our minds. As we were talking about last week, you know, Peter was going, you've got to change your mind in terms of the way you understand eternity, the way you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And, and, to, and, and this week and beyond, he's going to start transitioning to say, okay, we've talked about changing your mind. Now we're going to start talking about how we change our behaviour. Um, I was reading one commentator who said it like this. He said, now that your head's on straight, it's time to straighten up your behaviour. Ah, you know? Now you've got your head on straight, let's talk about straightening up your behaviour. Peter's saying, remember what God's done for you. Now it's time to live for him. Now it's time to live his way. And he's saying, don't get sidetracked. Don't get, don't get sucked into doing things the way that the world, the way that everyone around you. Do you see that word when he says, do not conform? He's saying, don't get sucked into doing things the way that everyone else does them. Don't conform. Be set apart. That's what holy means. Be set apart. Live differently. Live in a, live in a way that, at least to the world around you, is going to look unique. It's going to look different because it's the way of God. And he's saying, don't go after this casually. This isn't a sort of a something that I do in my spare time. This isn't something I do on Wednesday nights. He's saying, hunger for it. He's saying, this is something you should be craving after in your life. He says, hunger for it like a baby hungers for milk. He says, like a baby craves, he uses this word crave, like a baby craves milk. You ought to crave spiritual food. You ought to crave, crave the things of God. You ever seen a hungry baby? I've had, I've had three of them in my time. And uh, I tell you... <laughs> no, no, not physically. Not I. I, my wife and I, I together. Uh, we, we've owned three of these. And uh, I've got to tell you, and I'm not telling you something most of you don't know. You have not seen single-minded until you've seen a small baby that wants food. You know what I'm saying? Um, nothing will distract a, a hungry baby from the food that it wants. No amount of look after the wind, look out the window, no amount of bounce up and down on my knee, no amounts of here's a toy and wave it in front of you. Nothing will dissuade a newborn baby from that hunger for milk, that hunger for food. And Peter's using that as an analogy and saying, if you're a Christian, you know, for those of us who follow Jesus, we should be hungering after God the way that that newborn baby hungers after food. Totally single-minded, totally focused on nothing else. Not distracted by the things that are going on around us. Living for that and that alone. Now, spoiler alert in terms of today. Um, Peter's going to unpack what this holiness looks like a lot more in the rest of the book. In, in fact, we're in, uh, we're in sort of well, the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2. Really, the next two to three chapters are, are all about Peter saying... Um, more about what this what this holiness looks like. Um, so I say that to say today's message, what we're looking at today, is sort of unfinished in a way. 
Um, but it, it's really missing the details on the how because the rest of the letter is going to unpack in great details how it looks like in this relationship, how it looks like in a marriage, how it looks like in business, how it looks like for church leaders. Um, uh, so I guess I'm saying, um, bear with me if you're thinking, tell me how, tell me how. The how is not today, but the how is coming. But I do want to pick up one thing that one thing that I think Peter's trying to allude to in today, Peter's trying to suggest, and that is that when times are tough, it's really easy to get sidetracked away from living God's way, to get sidetracked by the difficulties in our life. It's really easy to lose our focus on the things of God and to become focused on ourselves and our problems and the things that are really impacting on our life, on my life right now in this moment. It's easy to stop doing the things that we really want to do because we're trapped by the, the, the difficulties that are happening around us right now. I don't know if that's true for you. That's certainly true for me. You know, that I find myself, I, you know, I listen to a message like this, I, I read this stuff in scripture and, and I, my mind says, that's totally how I want to live. And it is, I'm being genuine in that. But then I find myself mid next week, you know, and something's gone wrong or, or you know, one of my kids has gone crazy or, you know, whatever. And, 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 and you sort of forget that. Uh, and all of a sudden I'm consumed by my life and the problems and the things that are happening right there around me. It's like Peter's saying, when things are tough, you've really, really got to want this. You're not, you're not going to get this sort of life casually. You have to hunger after this kind of living. Because when people and the world around you are dumping on you, it's really easy, isn't it, to sort of dump back on them. When things are tough in your life, it's really, to, it's really easy to respond to that tough with tough rather than to respond in grace and rather to pursue the holiness of God. Have you heard what that girl's saying about me at uni? That becomes an excuse for malice in our life. My workplace is so bad. They're, they're not paying me enough. They don't know what I do. That, you know, they're overlooking me. That becomes an excuse for deceit. Have you seen what this person's saying about COVID? Do you, have you seen what this person believes about vaccination? That becomes an excuse for slander. And, and I mean, I'm no different. I don't say this with any sense of judgment. I fall into this too. Uh, you know, and, and what Peter's saying is that, you know, for most people in the world around us, that's okay. You know, I mean, I've, I've heard and I've read, and I'm sure so of you, so many conversations that go like this when someone starts talking about how nasty someone else has been to them and so they've been sort of nasty back. You know, and what do people around them say? Yeah, yeah you know, I, I hear you. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, they deserved it. You know, I would have done that too. Well done for sticking up for yourself. You know, well done, well done for not taking that. Well, you know, that, that, that's kind of become the norm in our culture, isn't it? And we, we, get, we all get sucked into that. And, and all of a sudden, our difficulties have taken us away from living the kind of life that we want to live and we find ourselves falling into these patterns of behaviour that Peter's specifically saying, don't do that. 
So I think Peter understands this connection between the difficult things in life and, and, the, and the holiness of living when he's saying this. I think part of what Peter's trying to do here right at the beginning, as I said, he's going to go on and unpack this in a lot more detail, but I think part of what he's doing right now is to call us out of that. Is to call out that behaviour. And he's reminding you that if you're a Christian, if you're someone who says yes to God, that you are supposed to be living by different rules. There's a different rule book. There's a, there's a different um, set of, uh, of principles that should guard and guide and direct your life. You're not supposed to be living the way everyone else is living. You're not supposed to be conforming. Your life is not supposed to look like the lives of the world around you. It's supposed to look different. That's what holiness means. It's supposed to look set apart and different and unique. And it's not easy. I mean, remember, Peter's writing this to people who are being put into a ring with live lions and wild animals and torn to death, right? He's not saying this is an easy thing. He knows this is tough. He knows he's writing to people who are doing it tough. And to be honest, probably way tougher than, than most of us who are listening to this message are doing it tough. So this isn't a recipe for an easy life. But simply what Peter's saying is, look at what Jesus has done for you. Look at the price that he paid. Look at what it cost him. Look how wonderful he is. Look how wonderful the life that he makes available to you is in this life and in eternal life beyond this one. Remember what it cost him to give you eternity. And in response to that, live holy. In response to what he's done for you, give your life to him and live his way following his example. It's Peter's way of saying, it's worth it. It's worth it. I know it's difficult. I know you look at that list and you think, man... Trying to get rid of all that stuff in my life. But this is Peter's way of saying it's worth it. Peter's laying the foundation for the behaviour change and the life change that he's going to talk about in the rest of this letter. And this is the simple foundation. Be holy because he is holy. Don't slander people because Jesus is didn't slander people. Don't act with malice. We don't use the word malice, but malice really just means, you know, kind of thinking evil and, 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 and you know, and wanting, uh, wanting negative things, wanting bad things uh, for other people. He's saying, don't be like that. Don't, don't want bad things for other people, even those people who want bad things to you, because Jesus didn't want bad things for the people around him, even the people who wanted bad things for him. Don't live with envy, hypocrisy, deceit. Don't, don't live with those things because Jesus didn't live with those things. And Peter doesn't say this exactly, but I, I think the implication of what he's trying to say is imagine how different the world would look if the church took these things seriously. And I'm not talking the church organisation. I'm not talking about someone else. I'm talking about you and me, the, the people of the church. Imagine how different our world would look if the church hungered after these things of God. If we hungered after holiness like we hunger after, you know, that next purchase that we're saving up for. 
If we hunger after holiness like many, many of us hunger after the weekend. If we hunger after holiness like we hunger after a party. You know, if we hunger after holiness like we hunger after, uh, you know, great times with family and friends. Peter's writing to a group of people that lived holy, they lived differently. And he's encouraging them, keep doing that. Be holy because he, because Jesus was holy. And he's going to go on and talk about this. But when we say live holy, we're not talking about, you know, not drinking and not swearing and that sort of stuff. Peter's saying, imagine a community of people who didn't slander and didn't talk negatively about people around them. Not even their enemies. Not even social media trolls. No, I mean it. You know, th- these, these are the people that we find it so easy to be slanderous about and to talk negatively about. You know, people we see on the news, you know, some of our leaders, you know, some of these key voices. You hear people say, you know, horrible things. Um, you know, even people within the church saying horrible things about other people. What Peter's saying is, imagine if the church didn't do that. That's not the way of Jesus. Imagine a group of people who lived without envy and deceit and malice. Peter is laying out the beginnings of a way of living in tough times. A way of living in tough times that will change the world. Literally change the world. He's laying out a way of living that will change the world as in will change your world, will change your life, but will also change the world. You know what I mean? Remember, Peter's writing this to these tiny groups of people scattered throughout what they knew of the world, but what for us is just scattered around the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, and these people actually did live like this, and it did change the world. You know what I mean? Right now I'm preaching this in, in Australia, which is like, you know, half the world, over half the world away from where Peter wrote this letter and the people that he wrote it to. And I'm here in a little Christian church in the middle of a country that they didn't know existed then because people live like this. Like, don't mistake that. The the reason we're here is because people did this and it was different and it changed the world. And it grew and expanded and spread because people lived this way. So this is the beginning of Peter's invitation to say, Be holy. In light of, therefore, because of what Jesus has done for us, as we talked about last week, because of what Jesus has done for us, let's live for him. Let's live his way. Let's live holy. And let's change the world. Let's change our worlds and let's change the world. So if you want to change the world, um, if you want to see the whole world change for the better, um, you're going to have to be back here next week uh, in week four of Surviving and Thriving where we're going to really start dipping in um, to what Peter's saying about our mission and our call to be holy and to change the world. Um, that's good. Have a great week and we'll see you next week. God bless. Thank you.